People deluded, I'm back again. Welcome back to another edition of the Deluded Podcast, the DG Podcast, the Really and Truly Podcast. Every week you lot refer to it as a, as something new. Personally, I'd rather it be called the Deluded Podcast, but I'm not fussed just as long as you keep returning. First things first, good morning to those of you over in the UK. Good afternoon, good evening, and obviously the appropriate good night, whoever you are, wherever you are on this planet. And once again, thank you very much for tuning in to me on, on Spotify and Apple and Anchor and the rest of it. If you're just cutting through for the first time, make sure you've obviously hit the follow button and all of those sort of things for the streaming platforms. Also, check out me on YouTube, Deluded Guna. Now, people... It's been a crazy couple of weeks in terms of football and I think it's been a crazy sort of midweek sort of results in terms of football, to put it nicely, you know. Let's jump straight into it. One second, people. I said one second. I needed to remove my hood off my head, people. It's actually making me hot with these headphones. But like I was saying, people, Premier League business, the games are coming thick and fast. It's a mad season in that nobody's really nailing it down. I'm pretty sure if you was to ask all of these Premier League managers, there isn't too many Premier League managers who feel their team can't improve, feel their team has played perfectly all season, feels there isn't possible concerns. Like I was looking around of it, in terms of overperforming, I'd say, you know, there probably won't be too many complaints from David Moyes at West Ham, potentially Brendan Rodgers, City are advancing up the table, so I guess with Pep. But I think everybody else, you know, even Man United and great 2-1 victory over Fulham I'm sure Oli would want to would want to improve Klopp definitely wants to improve Arsenal started well but it's only you know I've seen Capri Suns last longer than our um, sort of turnaround in form so let's see what happens you know it's, it, it's crazy and I feel this is a season where if you don't achieve whatever goals whether that's staying in the league winning the league top four top six top ten whatever if you don't achieve your goals and that, that includes the team I support in Arsenal I think you only have yourself to blame and it's because it's not because when you look at it Obviously, there's teams that are have better squads. There's teams that are better than others. But based on this year, it's not. If you don't accomplish your goals, it's not necessarily because there's a golfing class between you and other sides. It's because you really couldn't put a run of form together and capitalize. Because everybody's making it tougher than it needs to be. You know, take nothing away from Manchester United at all. They're firmly within the title challenge. But you go back a few weeks ago. You know, it was all Liverpool, City. You know, United fans or anyone connected with United, you'd be laughed at for saying that. They've taken advantage for what people have been doing and they found their way there, you know, and whether they remain, whether they can stay there and, can, and, and make it their own and whatnot remains to be seen. As you see, Manchester City are advancing up the table. So let's jump into the Premier League action. Let's start with what happened last night, people. Seven minutes from time, Ashley Barnes scored a vital penalty after Alisson brought him down to claim a 1-0 victory. Burnley won, Liverpool nil. And, you know, it, it, it's some of the statistics I was reading for Liverpool, it's, it's crazy, it's crazy, people. You know, that's 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 Liverpool's first loss in 60-odd in, in in, in, in games, people. That's Burnley's first win at, at the em, at, at, I meant said Emirates. I'm so used to people breaking their record. But what I meant to say is that's Burnley's first win at home in 46 years obviously we know Liverpool had a home run extending beyond 60 games and it was always going to end you know I'm pretty sure just based on how the game went Jurgen Klopp won't be happy and it's more or less the same things Liverpool are struggling to to score goals conceding cheap goals haven't really evolved as a team really and this is what I mean people laughed at me people told me I'm talking nonsense when I said listen that Liverpool team, people just look at it as that team's been together for three years, two, two years, three years max. 
that team's been together for a while. Maybe not all of the players, but you have to go back to when... Remember when they, they were leading the league title by like 10 points and they messed it up against City and then they went to a Champions League final and then the next year they patterned it and, and stuff. That team's been together for, let's just say, four years, people. As you lot know, football is in cycles and I think, you know, as well as obviously they're failing on the football field, nothing with, with things that aren't relevant to transfers, but I don't think, I don't think it's been evolved. You know, Liverpool... Everybody knows what they're going to do now. Everybody knows their threat um, sort of thing. And I don't think they've evolved. I've said they need a striker. People laughed at me and said, no, you can't get rid of Firmino and this and that. I wasn't saying any of that. I was saying it's a squad game. And like you see, you know, you've got to look at it, especially a team like Liverpool. When your top players aren't at it, who's going to pull the buck? And I know Yota's been injured. They've had a lot of injuries in defence and they've had to play centre midfielders there. And there's, there's many different reasons for why they might not be performing. But for me... I feel there's been a bit of complacency, not with Jurgen Klopp, not with the fans, because both said, you know, Jurgen Klopp's tried to bring in top players um, and obviously the fans know they need to adapt, but maybe those at the top, because I was praising them for how they reinvested the Coutinho money and whatnot. You know, you look at two of the signings that have failed in recent years for them, Timo Werner now, People might say maybe Werner goes to um, plays under Jurgen Klopp, a fellow German, wanted him first, knows how to use him and utilise him. He might do better in the Liverpool shirt than a Chelsea one. So maybe in hindsight, people are saying Liverpool dropped, um, dodged a bullet. But you've got to look at it at the time. What was he coming in to do? You look at that front three for Mino, Mane and Salah and he's coming to disrupt that either off the bench and give them another dimension or, you know, replace Firmino or or something in it. Or you put Firmino behind them, give them different options, put pressure on the side, give ultimately give them a new dimension in the team. You know, they failed with Fakir, so they've clearly tried to bring in a creator. I know a lot of people talk about Firmino's creativity. Why would they try bringing Fakir? You know, they talk about Firmino, he, he's more than goals. Why would they try bringing Werner? He clearly brought in Thiago for a reason, to give them a bit more expansiveness in the middle. So I don't think Liverpool have, have really built upon this and really made their team a bit tougher than it is. Because again, I have no doubt Liverpool will get back to form. Fundamentally, as an outsider looking in, I think they're conceding cheap goals. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold is struggling at the moment. I think, you know, the injuries are playing his part. But I just feel... I. I personally, I don't want to blame it all on the front three, but they're not firing. You know, Salah isn't taking man on with as much conviction. Mane isn't grabbing games by the neck. In the last two games I've seen from Firmino in particular, he's been missing some primary school finishes. I know he's not the most prolific, but come on, sort of thing. And, you know, they say the fact of, I thought BBC were lying when they said Liverpool have gone 440 minutes without a goal. That's unheard of. I expect that from Sheffield United and them sort of teams there, not by Liverpool, not with someone like Mo Salah, Mane and all of these guys. I do think, much like the United game, I think the well, you lot can all see it's not even just I think. I think the the front three are are, are 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 killing them. Saying that they don't get there overnight, people. They're not there alone. You know, Allison conceded a pen. There was many things they could have done differently, people. And obviously, Firmino are definitely in that game. Firmino and Origi, off the top of my head, both had two fantastic chances to really get something out the game. You could do the ifs and buts if they scored. It's two one. It's only a goal conceded. It's not three points dropped. We can't do any of that. So for me, it's yet again a game where Liverpool, you know, failed to convince in front of goal, ultimately failed to play convincing. They've lost their winning run. You know, you've got to credit um, Burnley. You know, they rid their luck at times. You know, they were tough to break down. They stayed in it. They fought hard. They deserved their three points. Obviously, when you work hard and you listen to your game plan and, you know, 
You you have 11 soldiers in the troops. You get a bit of luck, like with Allison bringing down Barnes and obviously great from Barnes to show conviction. I think you've got to give credit to the whole team. But in particular for me, Nick Pope and Ben Mee put in a real, real shift for the cause. Um, and it was also funny to see um, Sean Dice and Klopp kind of getting into it as well in the game. But it's nice to see that obviously, you know, two footballing men can put all of that behind them. Um, so, you know, Liverpool's loss is firmly Burnley's gain. Burnley have proven themselves a, a, a tough team regardless of their form to play. You know, a point against Burnley at our place don't look too bad now, people. But with all due respect to Burnley, you know, you, the, the talking points are going to be Liverpool. We're going to focus on Liverpool because, again, his points dropped. Again, the front three is not really performing. Again, it's like it's the first time Liverpool, for me, have kind of hit a roadblock in recent years because, you know, you go back 12 months, Liverpool win this game. You know, Liverpool might be struggling, but you see 83rd minute, that might be Salah scoring. And then the next one from Mane or something, that's left them. And you've become marked men. People know what Liverpool are about. People know what your individuals are about. And that's why it's all you cannot underestimate squad depth and the squad people. Like Yota might not be the best player in the world, but he gave them something. And I think, you know, you do run the risk of becoming a predictable. And maybe Liverpool are due. They could still win the league and stuff, but they're making it harder than it needs to be. Um, maybe they're due a somewhat subdued season, a somewhat season back down to, I don't want to say reality, because what is reality? They've won the Champions League and the Premier League in recent years. But for want of better phrases, reality, because they've been doing quite well. And again, you need to replenish that side firmly. That was obviously the first time Jurgen Klopp has gone. Um, Jurgen Klopp has gone four games without scoring. You'd have to go back in in, in in time to when he was in the Bundesliga. In fact, you'd have to go back to 2006 when he was at Mainz. Mainz, sorry. So before Borussia Dortmund. Um, you've also got to praise praise Burnley. They know how to beat defending league champions. This was actually Burnley's second Premier League win away against a reigning champion. They also did it in 2017 against Chelsea. Um, and since 2017-18, Burnley are the only side with two away wins over the reigning English champions. So Sean Dice can give a blueprint to the Premier League, the rest of the Premier League. Liverpool have conceded two penalties at Anfield this season, people. Um, obviously, they did it against Sheffield United as well. They've only conceded two penalty goals at, at the ground under Jurgen Klopp before this season's league campaign. So that tells you defensively there's frailties, there's mistakes and obviously... There is injuries playing a part. So, you know, bring up Sean Dice. Commiserations to Jurgen Klopp. Now, you know, Liverpool's taking the talking points. But for me, the biggest talking points was first and foremost going to be City versus Aston Villa. But it, it weren't going to be that. It was going to be Leicester City against Chelsea. Now, Leicester, and it was, you know, first things first, I'd implore you all to listen to James Madison just go and listen to the way he speaks. And I think this country is missing a trick. Football is missing a trick in general. When you hear the way James Madison speaks, many people probably didn't even think he was like that. You know, Madison, he's going to have, he's having a good career. He is a good baller. And I'm sure football is only on the agenda in the short term. But I'm sure people saw that and said, you know what? You could have a career in the media if that's what he wants to do after this. And, you know, I think that's the trick we're missing. In a day and age where, you know, social media is bringing people together, you're seeing things like YouTubers and footballers having close relations, football channels and YouTubers having close relations. You know, the one trick we're missing is seeing footballers really show their personality. They're not robots, you know. I know they say focus on football, but imagine if, it's a bit different, but imagine if Rashford said, OK, I'll just focus on football. There'd be kids starving. So these footballers have a chance to provide value, obviously for great cause and obviously for entertainment value. Again, I'm not the biggest NFL and NBA fan and all of these things and I know America and England were culturally different but it feels like 
them man there, whether it's the commentators or the players, they're allowed to showcase their personality. They're allowed to give it to you as raw as they want. Where here, you know, if you do that, you're called a mercenary, you're called the rest of it. And I think, you know, James Madison, it was fantastic to hear how he, sp he spoke, not only just his personality, the way he spoke about they were looking to exploit Chelsea. Obviously, the comments about Jamie Carragher and how he wants to score goals and he wants everyone to talk about him. Love James Madison before, love the way he speaks, obviously, after that. Um, but yeah, man, you know, Leicester stressed out Chelsea and it's, it's what to expect. Rodgers is playing very well, coaching a great side. The players are playing well. They put them to the sword, obviously. Indeed, he don't score too often, collect his item. And James Madison scored two goals, you know, put them to bed, really. You know, exploiting them from set pieces. They said they've been working on that. For Lampard, you know, I don't need to spell it out to you. The writing's on the wall. There's talk of Allegri, Tuchel, Nagelsmann, all of these things. He's probably not going to be, you know, if he loses to Luton, he'd be sacked. But I think he's a dead man walking in football terms. I just think it's one thing calling for a man to be sacked or selling a man or whatever. You need a contingency plan because, and again, I'm not just saying that so Chelsea keep Lampard. I would love him to stay there based on how he's playing. But just to say they sat Lampard today, that's all great. And all the Lampard out brigade can calm down. But what's the next plan, you know? Is it an interim? Is there a next man lined up? Do you get it? You can't just really make these sort of things. Of course, football can always change. Lampard can always call it back, but the writing is on the wall. You know, again, I don't... I, sometimes you have to, you know, you have to protect... You have to find a balance of protecting players and digging them out at the right time and also which players. Also, you know, you know that can go backwards. You know, someone as much as I love as Arsene Wenger, we all said he probably protected the players too much. And when you've got people that you know, have some morals and stuff, they will they will react to that. But when you've got some freeloaders, it doesn't spell good. Equally, you can't just dig out your players week in, week out. You know, players are become gonna become, you know, what's the word? You know, they're gonna become numb to it. You know, fans are gonna become numb to it. You run the risk of just becoming a moaner. And it tells me you've lost the group because again, sometimes you deserve to be dug out. But if the manager is consistently digging you out week in, week out, you're gonna you're gonna start thinking, what's this guy's problem? And I'm not gonna fight for him. And I think Lampard, I'm not gonna say he's lost the dressing room because there clearly is players that are fighting for him. But it, you you have to imagine he's lost it. He's rotated the side the last couple of games. He's dropping out defenders. You know, everything's going wrong. You know, the one guy that, that that's saving him, Callum Hudson-Odoi, he's, he's a bit mixed with how he's been using him. And Callum might save you the job. You need to play players that have that have a, that need to do, that have a chance, that want to show something, that haven't been given a chance. You know, and Callum will do that. You know, even at the Emirates, Callum come off the bench and he set up their goal. You know, he's messing around with Callum. It looks like Reese James needs a hand over his shoulder. He doesn't look like he's getting that. The defence, you know, you've dug out Rudiger. You're bringing him in. That screams desperation. Mendy's looking a bit shaky in goal. Chilwell's looking a bit so-so. You know, we already know how predictable Chelsea are. They're not as clinical as they could be in front of goal. They're good on the transition and then they're extremely open. And it's, it's what we've known even when Lampard was in better times. You know, Chelsea make games harder than it needs to be. They're you know, they haven't taken that progress. And for Lampard last year, he was working out of necessity with the young players cool you've been given a bag of money you ain't done nothing there's not one player shining there's not a real system you know the writing's on the wall for Lampard and I'm sure nobody wants it to mess up but it is, it is what it is people you know you look at some of the stats he's there with Scolari and and um, AVB and them sort of guys there people and I'm not disrespecting him I'm not disrespecting them I'm just saying you know when you're at least with the Chelsea job when you're attached to them or your statistics are similar to those across any circumstances surely you're on borrowed time and if it wasn't Frank Lampard 
I think he might have been clipped a long time sooner. You know, credit to Madison. You know, James Justin was good. You know, man to a man, as, as, as usual, Leicester were very good, as you can expect. You look at, you know, for James Madison, he scored in three consecutive league appearances for the first time in his career. And... Obviously, at the end of the season, there's the Euros. A few months ago, we probably would have said, you know what, the Euros might be missing Madison. As we knew he had ability, but you know, Foden playing well, Grealish flavor of the month. It was looking at you know he's going to take, you know, Southgate is going to take Mount. So it's looking peak really for Madison. But he's doing all he can, and for me, we've got some problems. You know, you got Jet, you got you know. I don't see why you can't bring three of the four play names I've said. People, I would bring Madison personally. For I mean, I would I would bring. Personally, you know, Foden's first on the plane, as is Grealish. Um, out of Mount and Madison, I'd rather bring Madison, but I see Mount purely because Mount is probably more all industry than Madison, and he can play in a couple of roles, and he's a teacher's pet, really. You know, I think I, I, I think I think Madison should go if he keeps it up. Really, obviously, international football is a different ball game, and Madison's unlikely to be the star man for England. He'd probably be on the bench and things. But you bring your best players, you bring your ballers, and one thing I like about Madison. Of course, international football is a completely different ball game, people. But he like he's got that little bit of X factor, that sort of match decisiveness, and you never know what that might get you, sort of thing. It's like Foden and Saka. It's like they don't seem too over, pardon me, too overawed with things. They take things into their stride, so they could be people. And you know, even someone that even Leicester colleague Harvey Barnes again. I don't think he's going to get called up, but just in terms of form, I think he's been playing well on a decent one this season. Um, if you look at Frank Lampard, people, his points per game average of 1.67 is the fourth lowest of any permanent Chelsea manager in the Premier League. Also, with the 1.35 goals per game conceded under his reign, that's the worst at the club. So he's there for conceding goals. You know, he's failing to really take points. He spent 200 million quid and not one single player is excelling. You know, there isn't one sort of player you could say, OK, cool, he's a, shi he's a shining light in this poor season. Maybe I push Callum in recent weeks, you know, just because he's been taking chances given to him. It's a myth. It's a myth. And what's what, what I always look for in times like this is what players are playing for you sort of thing. And it's really not the players he's kept faith in. They're not playing for him. And on recent weeks, you know, it's been Callum and Giroud, two players you don't really want in your starting lineup or involved in first team matters at the moment in saving your bacon. And that juice has run out. So for, it is what it is. But for Leicester, they go marching on firmly, firmly in... In, 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 in the talk of winning a title, 2-0, clean sheet at home against Chelsea is a fantastic result, whatever way you want to put it, whatever form Chelsea's in. So credit to Brendan Rodgers and his boys. Also, people, you had West Ham versus West Bromwich Albion. David Moyes and David Moyes' team just keep flying high. You've got to give him his plaudits. Um, you know, it was quite a good game. I think Bowen, if I remember correctly, Bowen gave him the lead. I think Pereira struck and then Antonio... You know, you saw how you see how powerful he is. You know, absolutely lovely goal from him. He loves to score goals at, at the at the London Stadium, and he must be a favorite, sort of fan favorite, folk hero for West Ham now, in my opinion. Big three points for them for West Brom. Obviously, doesn't mean no, it doesn't mean nothing having a good result at the weekend if you can't put consistency together. So it's, it's three points dropped. You have to give West Ham credit. You know, West Ham have picked up 32 points from their 19 games played so far this season. That's their highest ever points tally at the halfway point of a Premier League season. You know, we're all very quick to get out David Moyes and say this and that and the third. You have to give him his credit so far. It's only the halfway point, but they're doing their thing. Obviously, with that and bigging up Mikel Antonio, a player I've actually met and he's a cool guy. I've got his signed shirt in the wardrobe. 
Um, you know, he's now the outright top goal scorer in the Premier League at the London Stadium with 14 goals, people. Well, if you look at um, each of his 41 goals in the competition, they've all come from inside the box. So, yeah, people, he loves to score inside the box. Now, Aston Villa against Manchester City, you know, 2-0. 2-0, uh, Manchester City 2, Aston Aston Villa 0, you know, Bernardo Silva and, Gun and a Gundogan penalty, last 11 minutes of the game, people, they snatched it, it was a crazy game, you know, Villa were holding on and holding on, and to be fair, they made Edison make a couple of big saves, but they were holding on and holding on, at one point, it, it was a fan, I can't even describe the game, You, how did it, you know, go so long without goals being conceded really by Villa and for both teams, Martinez made some big saves, Addison had a couple, you know, both, you know, they were cutting Villa rope and it was a fantastic game to watch in my opinion, you know, even Traore of Aston Villa, there was a second, he sent Kevin De Bruyne, he sent him shop. And on the topic of Kevin De Bruyne, before I forget, you know, that's probably the one concern in this victory is that he's picked up a knock. Apparently, you know, he's he could miss the Liverpool game and I'm sure Liverpool want to fight back. That's a big, you know, that's a six-pointer for both teams. You know, I'd say current form, Liverpool have to win that a bit more, but, you know, that will be a big boost to, to Man City's title challenge and it will be a big claim in Liverpool's redemption for such. So to lose Kevin De Bruyne or potentially for that is a myth. One criticism for me with Bernardo Silva is he could score more goals definitely at home, um, you know, and obviously on that topic, him scoring in this game was his first in the Premier League at the Etihad in 20 appearances. The last time he did such was in September 2019, where he scored a hat-trick against Watford. Um, you know, you've got a big up Phil Foden. He created six shots, six chances and had five shots against Aston Villa, which is a game high. You know, it was a good game. Villa had a couple of chances to nick it themselves. We can't not speak about personally. It looked like an offside position. Rodri, I believe, is coming from, you know, Tyrone Mings is stupid defending, just clear the ball, really. But I don't understand how he's allowed to come back from an offside position and influence the game like that. Personally, um, I think Dean Smith was unlucky to be sent off and I definitely share his cause, man. I do think if that's Klopp, if that's, you know, a team, if that's a manager of a traditional top six club or people with a bit more, you know, sort of iron, iron fist or a bit more held a bit more clout sort of thing I don't think they get sent off twice in that game I don't think they get charged by the FA so I definitely feel they're picking on Dean Smith with all due respect because it's Dean Smith he's fully allowed to be unhappy with with that you know um it's crazy, people. And apparently he's he's been charged. For those of you who don't know the actual reason for it, why he's been charged, I can read it out to you, people. Um, Smith appeared to be unhappy with the decision to rule Rodri onside for Manchester City's first goal in the 79th minute. He then had conversations with both the fourth official, David Cute, and, and, and the referee, John Moss, which resulted in Smith being shown a first a yellow card and then a red card from... Um, by Moss as Smith has said it is farcical and pathetic it's just referees trying to flex their muscles unable to manage the occasions and once again you know like Arsene Wenger said there's a reason why English referees you know England can be the biggest league in the in the in the in the world but if we was to talk how can you have the biggest league with the poorest refereeing this is why none of them go and manage I mean go and referee Euros and World Cups and the rest of it consistently like Wenger said people it is farcical and and, and pathetic to echo um David's David um, um Mr Smith's words Dean Smith apologies Dean Smith's words um speaking after the game he said I got a yellow for saying I think you you I think you've you've had juggling balls for Christmas 
What I said for the red card doesn't need to be censored. It wasn't swearing. He came over and said, I'm interpreting the laws of the game. And I said, you should have done that earlier in the game. And that is cheeky. But when does that deserve a yellow card, to be fair with you? Is that any worse than what the players are probably giving him for 90 minutes? Probably not. He said, I think I've got treated rather unfairly. I've seen a lot of worse things said to John Moss before. And he's not dealt with it like that. It just looks like he couldn't wait to give me a yellow and then a red. I'm frustrated at myself. I got sucked into something I shouldn't have. And that's true. You know, he's held his hands up. But in relation to the FA people, you know, a statement said Dean Smith has been charged with a breach of FA rule E3 following Aston Villa's Premier League match against Manchester City on Wednesday. It is alleged that the manager used abusive and or insulting language towards a match official during the 81st minute. He has until Tuesday, the 26th of January to respond to the charge. If found guilty, he could be subject to a touchline ban and or a fine people. If you remember on Wednesday, MK Don's manager Russell Martin was handed a £1,500 fine and a touchline ban for one game after admitting two charges of breaching the same rule. So it all depends. Maybe the Premier League will deal with it differently. Who knows? I think it'd be a shame because, again, you see some of the stress that other referees give out to people. And, and they get away with it. I've seen, you know, I don't know what's being said, but I've seen many managers in the Premier League bellowing at, manage, at, at referees and nothing said. So I think they're picking on Dean Smith personally. It is what it is. Now, in relation to Kevin De Bruyne, I kind of touched on it, people. Apparently, source is close. You know, he's picked up a, he's picked up a, a hamstring injury. Apparently, he's suffered a minor tear in such following the game on, on, on Thursday against Aston Villa. Um, he's expect although a timeline or exact timeline for his recovery is yet to be determined. It's expected he's hoping to be back in two to three weeks, according to sources close to the player. Obviously, he faces missing out Sheffield United, Burnley away, West Bromwich Albion away, uh, Cheltenham Town, which he probably wouldn't have played in in the FA Cup. Obviously, you know you've got you've got a trip trip to Anfield on the seventh of February. Um, you know, there's also potential games he might miss against Spurs and Arsenal. And obviously, you've got Gladbach on the 24th of February in the Champions League. So I'm definitely hoping he misses the Arsenal game, people, um, and things like that. But we wish him a smooth recovery because it's never nice. Now, Manchester United versus Fulham. As you look, no, Manchester United 2, Fulham 1. Adam Ola Lookman, who's having, since he made that terrible decision to take that penalty many months ago he's been I think Lookman highlights Fulham you know he's he looks a different much like Fulham they look he looks a different player like Fulham look like a different team there's new spirit new galvanization new confidence and you know Fulham thought they were going to live a movie when they took the lead in the fifth minute people and then obviously Cavani and a terrific strike from Paul Pogba cemented three points for 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 Manchester United. I'm sure Manchester United fans, they're happy to be challenging for the league title. I'm sure at a push, they would like to be winning games a bit more cleaner, a bit more crisper. Because yes, Fulham did hold on. But, you know, similar to, to what I said with Chelsea, they do make games harder than it needs to be. And United are relying on individual brilliance a lot. But who cares, you know? I'm happy for Paul Pogba. Obviously, I'm not a United fan. I don't want them to do well like anyone that sees rivals. But... I love Paul Pogba as a footballer, man, and it's nice to see, you know, people can't get at him now. They they can only talk about what he's doing on the football field and he's always been a baller. Forget his goal. He was everywhere yesterday. He was probably as deep as the centre midfielders, as high as the strikers when it came to scoring. Absolutely everywhere, people, for Manchester United. And, you know, obviously, I do think United make games harder than it needs to be and this highlights it. But there's nothing wrong with this. You know, Fulham, I feel sorry for Fulham, you know, because I've seen them against Chelsea and against United. 
they deserve to get something out of the game. They've been working very hard. And, you know, if they apply themselves have the, how they did in their two previous games I've mentioned against other oppositions, they'll get something. I feel what they need to do is just keep working because, again, the quality of United made the difference with the individual quality. Cavani, you know, you know, he knows his way in the box, managed to strike. Maybe the, maybe Fulham in the build-up to Cavani's goal would have said we could have done a lot better. I don't think you can stop Pogba's goal. You know, you could get, I guess in hindsight, get tighter to him, you know, stop the shot. You stop the shot, it might not happen. Maybe the keeper's positioning could be better. But, you know, that's why Paul Pogba is Paul Pogba. So, um, so yeah, Fulham actually had chances as well to wrap the game up. You know, Loftus-Cheek had a couple chances towards the end. De Gea made a couple saves. So they could have got something out of the game, people. But, it's you know, I, I think United can, can not even count themselves lucky. That's a big three points because, like I said, Fulham are looking a different team. And, you know, if they're going to stay in the league or not, it's a different story. But they're definitely doing what they can to give themselves a good fight of that, people. Um you know, shout out to Cavani. He's the first Manchester United player to score in each of his first four Premier League, um, to score, sorry, um, each of his first four Premier League goals for the club in away matches. And he makes the difference, you know, what was it, Southampton a couple of weeks ago. You know, Cavani's been a good signing for them people. He's already not, he's already not part of the Di Marias and the Falcals and all of that sort of group, you know. Cavani's been a good signing. I don't know if they'll keep him for another year or if he'll stay another year or whatever, but he's been a very shrewd addition and a very quality player. And like I've previously said, you know, if you're Marcus Rashford, Mason Greenwood, Martial, any young strikers that get to train with the first team beyond these lot, if you don't suck up as much knowledge, pause, as much knowledge as possible from Cavani, you know, in terms of movement and how to be a striker, it's stupid. You have yourself to blame. It's the same way, you know, there's still rumours of Pogba leaving. Any young midfielders, if you let Paul Pogba leave Manchester United, then you haven't, you kind of soaked up some sort of knowledge from that guy, you know. It's, 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 it's silliness. It's absolutely silliness. You know, you can't help but rate Cavani. Shout out to Adamola Lookman again, because like I said, he's finding a little bit of form. He's doing his thing. He's provided three goals and he's got three assists in the Premier League this season. You know, them six goal involvements are the most of any player Fulham have in the competition this campaign. So make of that what you will, people. Um, <clears throat> so yeah man that was the only Premier League games I personally came across mid-midweek mid unless I'm unless I'm missing anyone out any out people in terms of Premier League action to come um you've only you've only got the one game which is Aston Villa again in action against Newcastle now for for Aston Villa that could get long that could get that could get very long for Newcastle against Aston Villa sorry because Steve Bruce is on borrowed time I'm sure I'm sure Dean Smith wants to bounce back and I'm sure Dean Smith Dean Smith wants to take advantage of these games in hand due to obviously covid mashing up a lot of Aston Villa's games and whatnot. Aston Villa have won just one of their last 12 Premier League games against Newcastle, losing five and drawing six. They're actually, however, unbeaten in, in four against the Magpies and they won this exact fixture 2-0 last year, so make of that what you will. Newcastle have failed to score in their last three Premier League away matches against Aston Villa since they won 2-1 at Villa Park in 2013. Aston Villa have scored at least three goals in three of their seven Premier League home matches this season, which as many as they had in their previous 62. So they're free-flowing, they're confident, they're scoring, there's more togetherness. Hopefully Grealish can get me some FBL points. Aston Villa are looking to keep... Um, are looking to keep three consecutive home clean sheets within the same campaign for the first time since 2012 under Paul Lambert. So we'll have to see what happens. And that kicks off at eight o'clock, people. Um, you know, that's the only Premier League one because we're obviously all in FA Cup action. I know Chelsea have Luton. 
Arsenal obviously have two games against Southampton. We've got them in the league on Tuesday. But before that, we play them on the Saturday, people, in which we're going to have to stand up to be counted. I'm quite scared, people, regardless of the fact that Southampton have won just one of their last nine meetings against us in all competitions. And regardless of the fact that Arsenal have been victorious in all four of our previous FA Cup ties against Southampton, it's the magic of the FA Cup. It's quite scary. You know, we've won 11 of our last 12 FA Cup away games. Can we make that 12 from 13 on Saturday? And, you know, a lot Arteta, for me, you have to name the two strongest lineups you can, people, because we need to do what we need to do in the league and we're defending this cup. We need our talisman, Abamian, who knows how to score in this competition. Elsewhere, you've got Chorley against Wolves, welcoming Wolves to their place. That's today, actually, at 7.45, Friday. Um, you've got Brighton against Blackpool. You've got Millwall against Bristol. You've got Barnsley against Norwich. You've got Sheffield United against Plymouth. You've got West Ham against Doncaster Rovers, which, sadly, Arsenal loanee Tyrese John-Jules won't play any part in because he's picked up a hamstring knock. You've got Swansea against Nottingham Forest. You've got Cheltenham Town welcoming Manchester City. You've got Chelsea welcoming Luton Town. You've got Fulham against Burnley you've got Brentford against Leicester you've got Manchester United once again playing against Liverpool this time at Old Trafford will there be rotated sides I don't know because that game comes down to pride Everton against Sheffield Wednesday Wickham travel um, well Wickham welcome Spurs Spurs love getting these easy draws and then obviously you've got Bournemouth against Crewley Town so that's fourth round action people depending on what happens in the campaign will be speaking about the FA Cup. Hopefully, Arsenal can advance to the latter stages of such people. Um, I hope so. Away from that, and in terms of other news, I'm sure you've all heard consistently this talk of Super Leagues and Super League this and Super League that, you know, and we all knew eventually it was going to come down to FIFA versus UEFA, organisation versus organisation. Long story short, FIFA are trying to threaten players who join this UEFA competition with the threat of you cannot play at the World Cups, people. Players who compete in the European Super League will be barred from international competitions, World football's world governing, governing body FIFA said. You know, FIFA and the six confederations, including UEFA, reiterated that such a competition would not be recognised. Apologies, people. So not UEFA. I thought this was UEFA stuff. But apparently talks have taken taking place over a members-only concept which could be a threat to the Champions League because they'd be the same thing, but it'd be Champions League without, with all due respect, the Tel Aviv, the Apple Wells debates and stuff like that. Um, FIFA said, in light of recent media speculation about the creation of a closed European Super League by some European clubs, FIFA and the six confederations once again would like to reiterate and strongly emphasise that such a competition would not be recognised by either FIFA or the respective confederations. Now, you're capping FIFA because, again, I hear that, but you can only ban, you can, you can only ban bad players, you know. You can, you're not going to, if Neymar, Mbappe, Messi, Ronaldo, these sort of guys, if they play in this competition, you ain't going to have a World Cup without them. Now, of course, the World Cup is bigger than these players. It's, a, it's football, it's the pinnacle. You are going to lose out because you. let's be real, as much as football purists like me and you lot listening to this will still watch the World Cup if these players ain't, ain't playing, you've got to remember the covert, the commercial experience. You know, I, I, There's probably people who are, who, who probably don't even care. There's obviously football fans who just follow teams. There's football fans who just follow players. There's probably people that follow Ronaldo, follow Messi, follow Neymar. They don't give a crap about football. They might even give a crap about what he does in football. They just like him. They just follow him religiously. They follow him. So your 
you're going to miss out on that. You're going to miss out with the commercial opportunities that these men bring. You're going to lose the integrity of the competition because you want the strongest players, you know. What happens if France can't, you know, let's just say France won the last World Cup. Let's just say, you know, Paul, nine times out of ten, that, 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 that. France 11, they're at top European clubs or clubs that you'd expect if there was a Super League to be part of it, you know, imagine Paul Pogba, Mbappe, Griezmann, you know, all of these guys, you can't use them, you know, to the point where France might even have to play Benzema with all due respect to Benzema, you know, or Brazil with no Neymar, you know, or Portugal with no Cristiano Ronaldo, especially Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi because they're not going to be around forever, it's silliness and it's a threat and if you if they did follow through with it, of course it would it would harm the competition. But I think you've got more to lose, and you know, yeah, you can't really ban everyone. It's just going to be a certain amount, and it's only going to be these lot. Because assuming it's a European Super League, you know, I'd imagine Arsenal. They're probably the traditional top six. You know, Atletico now in in Spain, but hand on my heart, probably I can only say the Madrid and and the Barcelona's. You know, you're going to be losing the top players. It's not where it's not like anything else. You're literally going to have to ban players from the top clubs, really. And then obviously it can present issues for clubs because if some people say, well, I'm not playing in this because obviously I want to play at the World Cup at the end of this season. They're saying I can't play. That's what FIFA are probably hoping on, but they ain't going to get them nowhere. Apparently any club or player involved in such competition would, as a consequence, not be allowed to participate in any competition organised by FIFA or any or their respective confederations. So again, you play in this, you might not even be able to play in the Champions League. Um, and it does kind of hurt the credibility of the Champions League because they're more or less the same thing obviously there's less rounds there's more super clubs obviously it then bowls the question what what would clubs sort of take more seriously because you you know i'd probably take the champions league it's the prestigious been here longer but let's just say you know you've got a fixture calendar you've got 10 days you've got the super cup fixture you've got your way for champions league you've got your own domestic league and all these things which one do you put put first sort of thing the commercial money ball or what to be fair, you know, the Champions League is a money ball. It's lost its, it, it, all of these things have lost their integrity. Um, so it's a problem. Apparently, FIFA also stated that its Club World Cup, both in its current and future games, and the Confederation's respective tournaments were the only club, club competitions recognised. You all know they're trying to expand the World Cup um, in Qatar, people. Um, it's been postponed as well, allegedly. Um so, yeah, in other news as well, Newport County goalkeeper Tom King has set a new world record for longest goal scored in competitive football. The 25-year-old scored as the Exiles drew 1-1 at Cheltenham Town on Tuesday. His goal kick picked up win, catching out Robert, Robin's keeper Josh Griffins before staling into the net. Um, the Guinness World Records have officially confirmed King's... Um, Confirmed King Strike broke the record for the longest goal scored in the competitive distance. Um, it was 95 metres, 96.1 metres, people. The previous record was held by former Chelsea and Stoke goalkeeper Ashmir Begovic, people. So shout out to him. I'm sure you all saw Cristiano Ronaldo became um, the, 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 the all-time goal scoring, got, um, claimed the all-time goal scoring record within football. And I'm sure you're all seeing the Czech Republic Football Confederation are, you know, disputing that but shout out to Cristiano Ronaldo man he scored his 760th career goal in the 2-0 win in the Italian Super Cup over Napoli and it clearly shows Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the greatest if not claim to the greatest of all time and when you speak of Cristiano Ronaldo among other things there's only one word I think of and that's winning or winner so it is what it is 
Now, to wrap this podcast up, people, and to speak about transfer news, we've all seen Odegaard apparently is to Arsenal on loan. I'm all for that, people. He can be played with Smith-Rowe, behind Smith-Rowe, in place of Smith-Rowe. We need creativity. I hope there's a buy option so we can get him permanently. He's only played 10 times this season, so not too sure on his physical condition. And for a 22-year-old, he is quite inexperienced in terms of games played. But, you know, we need to bring in somebody. Obviously, we all know Mesut Ozil is more or less a Fenerbahce player. Um, away from that you've all seen apparently Chelsea in England defender Tamori is on the verge of joining AC Milan on a six month loan um, with the Italian side having the option to make it permanently apparently Bayern Munich are, have confirmed their intention of signing up on Meccano um, pardon me apparently Deli Ali has asked the chairman Daniel Levy not to block any potential move to PSG where his former manager Pochettino's there you know Deli Ali to have any chance of going off with England to the Euros, he needs to go and play football. And, you know, we're only a couple of months from the Euros. If it was picked tomorrow, you're not in the 30-man squad, let alone the 23-man. So that tells you, you need to go and play football. Apparently, Arsenal are open to signing a backup goalkeeper. I mean, a backup goalkeeper and left-back. Hopefully, those things happen. Um, apparently, West Ham have ended their pursuit in Seville and Morocco striker Yusuf El Nesri. Apparently, they had a 27 million pound bid rejected with the Seville Seville holding out for 35 million apparently Crystal Palace's midfielder um, James McCarthy is a target for the Scottish champion Celtic there isn't too much other news in that in that regards people Leicester have ruled out a loan move for, for Christian Eriksen there actually isn't too much transfer news or, or topics we haven't covered already people so that's all I that's all I, I'm, I can actually speak about so yeah man we've spoken about the FA Cup to come the one Premier League game to come. We've reviewed the Premier League. We've touched on FIFA. We've touched on the world um, Guinness World Records and things like that. So, yeah, man, I'll be back again on, I think, Monday because FA Cup will be done. So I'll be back with another podcast Monday Monday morning for you guys. Um, in the meantime, I hope you've all, you've all liked this. Please make sure, you know, you follow the thing and you support across the necessary channels. If you haven't had enough of the DG content, head over to the YouTube channel as well, Deludaguna04. Twitch is Deludaguna187. Um, all other social media information sort of things in relation to my platforms are in the description. But it's been a fantastic podcast. I'm going to have to love and leave you people. It's been a fantastic one. Thank you for listening to the Deluded podcast, the DG podcast, the really and truly podcast. But people, I'm out. Thank you for listening. God bless. Have a great day.